1999, the opening round of the NBA playoffs between the Sacramento Kings and Utah Jazz. After a lockout-shortened season, the Kings and Jazz became a physical and entertaining rivalry that really dominated Sacramento before the Kings and Lakers rivalry would form a couple of years later. I asked which Sacramento Kings playoff series you'd like me to relive and do an in-depth look at here on Locked on Kings. And so many of you requested this 1999 Kings Jazz five-game series because many consider it to be the dawning of the greatest show on court era here in Sacramento. Of course, the greatest era of Kings basketball in Sacramento's history. So here we are, part one of a three-part series doing an in-depth dive at this Kings and Lakers, or rather Jazz series. And on today's podcast, episode one, we're going to be looking at the three regular season matchups between the Kings and the Jazz, how we got to that five-game opening round. And then we'll look at game one, which was quite quite honestly, a major letdown and really an embarrassment for the Sacramento Kings as they were beaten down in Utah. Part two tomorrow will be games two and three. Part three will be games four and five. And in all parts, I will be joined by the G-Man, Gary Gerald, longtime Sacramento Kings radio broadcaster. G-Man was calling games during this playoff series, so he'll be able to fill all the context and more. It's all on today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season and all off season. If you're looking for in-depth analysis, game-by-game breakdowns, highlights, interviews with local and national experts, full coverage of your Sacramento Kings from January through December, this is the place for you, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I've been a Sacramento sports media member, Sacramento Kings media member for the last seven years. This will be my eighth season covering the Kings. Uh, formerly in radio, now in television at ABC 10 here in Sacramento. And I am very excited to uh, bring to you this uh, this deep dive into the 1999 playoffs for your Sacramento Kings because this was more fun, I think, for me than it's going to be for you to hear it because to re-watch these games and to re-experience this, I'll be completely transparent with you. And this is showing my age and a lot of you are going to probably roll your eyes and, and call me a baby at this. I was four years old during this series, so I don't remember it going on while it was happening. However, my uncle did. My uncle was a season ticket holder at the time. It's because of my uncle that I really got into Kings basketball and went to a lot of games during that greatest show on court era. So I talked to him a number of times uh, over the last few days about this series. And then, of course, I found all of the games, games one through five, rewatched those, even found the three regular season matchups between the Kings and the Jazz. That took a little bit of digging and calling in some favors, but I found those games as well. And being able to re-experience not just the series, 
but the context around the series and to connect the dots, see parallels between that Kings team and where the Kings are right now or what happened in this series, this five-game series against Utah and what would happen years later in the Western Conference Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers. There are a lot of connections. Being able to speak with the G-man, Gary Gerald, here on Locked on Kings about this and to have him join me for all three parts is such a treat. I really enjoyed doing this. This was a massively fun project for me, and I hope uh, you enjoy the fruits of my labor a little bit and you can re-experience this series. If you remember this series, you watched these games, maybe you went to some of these games, let me know at Matt George Sack on Twitter. Email me mattgeorgesports at gmail.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, uh, leave your memories in the comment section down below because I, I want to create a discussion based off of this because this was a long time ago. Like I said, I was four years old. I'm 27 now. This was a long time ago uh, that this series took place. And yet, like I said, there's so many parallels between that Kings team and where they are now. So I'm so excited to fill you in on the context. And quite honestly, um, based off of how game one of this series went, I'm more excited. I'm going to spend more time today in episode one talking about the regular season buildup to this playoff series more than I talk about game one itself because game one was just so dull and such a beatdown for Sacramento. But as hard as it was to watch that game back, there were some takeaways from it and it provided really good context in the framework for what happened in games two and three, which of course we will talk about uh, on tomorrow's podcast. But like I said, I was four years old when this series went down. So, and this entire season, I don't remember the lockout. Many of you do, uh, I am sure. So the, the regular season, even though it's technically the 1998-1999 season, the regular season didn't begin until 1999. And this was a year of firsts for the Sacramento Kings in so many ways. I mean, a completely revamped team. The obvious addition was Chris Webber, who was traded for... Um, by the Sacramento Kings, and they sent Mitch Richmond, the Kings then star, away in that deal. So Chris Webber comes in, and we know the context of Chris coming in. Not too excited, didn't necessarily want to play in Cowtown, Sacramento. Uh, and pretty quickly, he showed that not only was he the best player on the Sacramento Kings, which surprised nobody then, just like it surprises nobody now. Quickly, he started to understand and figure out what he can be here. And he quickly became a fan favorite and became beloved here in Sacramento. And and of course, the rest is history with Chris. But it wasn't just him who was uh, a, a newcomer to the Sacramento Kings team. In fact, there were more newcomers than there were returners. And I'm not just talking about players. This was Rick Adelman's first season as head coach. So Rick Adelman and, and Chris Weber, who were both just inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame, they came to Sacramento together at the same time. And I don't think a lot of people uh, remember that or realize that. And of course, Rick Adelman, he and the Kings would make the playoffs every single year that he was here. Again, we're talking about the dawning of the greatest era of Kings basketball in Sacramento history. So you have Jeff Petrie, who was the general manager at the time. Uh, he hires Rick Adelman, brings in a new head coach, Trades Mitch Richmond for Chris Webber, which is a massive gamble for this Kings team. And on top of that, he just goes crazy in free agency. He signs Vlade Divac, who many consider to be the greatest free agency signing in Sacramento Kings history. Although, I mean, Rashawn Holmes might be getting up there. Maybe not not that close yet. Uh, But Vlade Divac is signed. John Barry is signed. He played a massive role coming off the bench, as did Vernon Maxwell uh, signed with the Sacramento Kings. A young big man by the name of Scott Pollard was signed for the Sacramento Kings. And there were five 
other free agents that the Kings signed that offseason or really before uh, the lockout shortened season began in early 1999. In addition to that, the Kings had two rookies, one by technicality. I'm talking about Jason Williams, who was drafted seventh overall in the 1998 NBA draft by the Sacramento Kings. And then Peja Stojakovic making his or playing his first season for the Sacramento Kings, even though he was drafted uh, a couple of seasons before in the 1996 NBA draft. He played two more seasons in Greece before coming to Sacramento. So Peja Stojakovic is technically a rookie playing his first season. Jason Williams is the rookie who quickly becomes a starting point guard. And we know the flash that White Chocolate had and the uh, excitement built around him. You have all those new free agency signings. I think eight different free agency signings that I listed. Maybe nine, actually, now that I think about it. And then you have the new addition of Chris Weber. So this is a completely revamped team completely revamped, throwing this group together. Jeff Petrie has a new head coach in Rick Adelman. And on top of that, they're playing in a shortened season. The season was only 50 games long. The Kings finished with a 27 and 23 record, which is good enough for the sixth seed uh, in the Western Conference at that time. But when it comes to the Kings and the Utah Jazz and and setting the table for what was one of the best series, I'm biased, but one of the best series, in my opinion, of those uh, 1999 playoffs and just the series that made perfect sense after the way this regular season went. Three meetings between the Kings and the Jazz, one in Utah, two in Sacramento. All three games went to overtime. Every single one went to overtime despite the Utah Jazz being the well-oiled machine team that had Stockton and Malone who had played together a long time and the Kings are this young, exciting team that likes to score the basketball as flashy, but as a compilation of new players who haven't played together yet. So the old versus the new, the old dogs versus the new kids in so many ways and all three games go to overtime. And in addition to that, these games were physical. Now, of course, the NBA a little bit different then than it is today, right? A foul today was not a foul then. Uh, physicality was the name of the game. And of course, the game was played offensively more around the basket than it was on the perimeter. However, the Kings and this Kings team in particular, they were starting to change that a little bit. Now, they're way ahead of their time compared to the way uh, the NBA is played today with the importance of the three ball. Uh, but we'll talk in a little bit about how the Kings really utilize the three ball more than any other team in the NBA uh, at that time. But yes, three different regular season meetings, all three go to overtime and all three had at least an altercation in it. Multiple technical fouls throughout these three games. Like I said, it just set the table absolutely perfectly for the Kings and Jazz meeting uh, in the playoffs. And like I said, this honestly became the major rivalry in Sacramento with Chris Webber here and Vlade Divac here before the Lakers rivalry. And that was one of the things that I re-experienced doing this exercise is, of course, when we think early Sa- or late 90s, early 2000s Sacramento Kings, the Chris Webber, uh, Doug Christie, Peja, Doug was not part of the team at the time, uh, Peja Stojakovic, Vlade Divac's era in Sacramento, we think Kings and Lakers, and there are great battles in that great rivalry. But at the same time, too, the Kings had an amazing rivalry with the 
Utah Jazz, which we're going to talk about. And that was really the first one. They had a great rivalry with the Seattle Supersonics, and they had a great rivalry with the Dallas Mavericks. And there's a couple Maverick series, Supersonic series, even a Timberwolves series that I would love to do another one of these on uh, in the near future. But right now we're talking about the Kings and the Jazz. And let's look at some of these games uh, that the the Kings and Jazz play during the regular season. We're going to start with the first meeting between the two teams, which was on February 15th, 1999. The Kings travel to Utah, the only time during the regular season they would play in Utah, and they lose 120 to 112. Chris Webber led the Sacramento Kings with a Pretty Chris Webber-esque dominant double-double, 26 points and 11 rebounds. Jason Williams had a very good game playing against John Stockton. So you have this young, flashy point guard against arguably one of the greatest, most composed point guards of all time. And certainly, uh, I hesitate to say old man, but you know Jason Williams had that, or rather, um, um, John Stockton. I almost said Jerry Sloan, their head coach. John Stockton at the time had that old man style game. And speaking of Stockton, uh, he and Malone combined for 26 points. Stockton had 15, or rather, sorry, Carl Malone only had 26 points by himself. And I say only because that was kind of low for Carl Malone at this time. But John Stockton had 15 assists, which is par for the course for him. Uh, and then Jason Williams had 19 points, seven assists, and four steals in this game. Like I said, it would go to overtime. The Kings, however, were outscored in overtime, not being able to hang with the, the old dogs who were very familiar with overtime in that position. Uh, they were outscored 17 to nine in overtime. We're going to talk about games two and three of the regular season coming up here in just a second. Game three is the big one in the regular season that really set the table uh, for the playoffs. Of course, we will talk about game one of the playoffs coming up later in the episode. You're still going to hear from the G-man, Gary Gerald. But before we get to all of that, want to let you know that today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. You have another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone. And you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good other stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without the hassle. It's a great finally easy way to get all that TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings you your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter, get rid of the confusion, and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatibility device is required. Content varies by package. Locked on Kings is also brought to you by sleeper.ap. In 2018, the fantasy sports experts sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was just straight up broken. Games were being won and lost, not based off of whose players performed the best, but whose players had more scheduled games that week. It made no sense and it required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards the team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. So the days of losing because your opponent plays or their players simply had more scheduled games 
games than you, those days are over. So are the days of mindless, daily, busy work when it comes to fantasy basketball, setting your lineups every single day. Whether you prefer redraft, keeper, or dynasty, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. If you fa- if you play fantasy football and you prefer building out like a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love Game Picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. So the Kings lose game one during the regular season to the Utah Jazz in Utah and game two, they learn their lesson a little bit. Like I said, all three of these games are going to overtime, so don't be shocked by that. But on March 30th, so over a month since the Kings played the Jazz last in Utah, the Kings beat Utah in Sacramento 104 to 101. Now I would say that the Kings at this point had more time together, so they are more comfortable playing with one another, and that's true. However, Chris Weber didn't play in this game. He was not with the team. I tried to do research to find out why. They didn't even really explain it in the game broadcast. It wasn't any suspension or anything like that as far as I know. It just Weber was not with the team uh, at this time. And if you know the context of that, please send it to me and let me know because I, I was fascinated by that. But the Kings win 104 to 101 in Sacramento. The Utah Jazz were 21 and 7 heading into this game. And it was thanks to a huge 32 to 23rd quarter that the Kings created enough separation to really be in control, forcing the Jazz to play defensively uh, and ultimately tie this game up for it to go to overtime. Like I said, no Chris Weber. And the Kings starters played horribly in this game. So the one Kings and Jazz meeting, spoiler alert for game three, the one Kings and Jazz meeting during the regular season that the Kings win, Chris Weber wasn't playing and the starters were terrible. The starting five uh, scored only 21 points combined. Meanwhile, the bench, the bench was incredible. 83 combined points from five bench players. Vernon Maxwell, 33 points, shot six of nine from three-point range. And then young Peja Stoyakovich, 26 points. Before that, his career high was 17 points. He adds nine on top of that for 26 total points, shoots five of eight from three-point range, also had four steals. The Kings went 15 of 30 from three-point range. 33-pointers, that's normal today. That was not normal at that time. 33-point attempts, the Kings hit on 15 of them. Of course, easy math, that's 50%. And the Kings actually led the league in three-point attempts per game with 18.9. So 18.9 three-point attempts, not makes, attempts per game led the league. And the Kings shot 30 in this game. And they were hitting on him, thanks to Peja and Vernon Maxwell off the bench. This was also Scott Pollard's first game as a King. He was on the roster before this, but he was not playing due to Chris Weber and playing times. He was uh, young. He was mainly DMPs, not playing because of uh, a coach's decision, Coach Adelman. But he does get playing time and he rewards Coach Adelman and earns that playing time by finishing with an 11 point, 11 rebound, double double. And he had the game winning defensive stop in overtime on uh, Byron or Brian Russell uh, in overtime. The Jazz shot 51% in this game. So offensively, the Jazz did enough to win, but they turned the ball over 26 times. So the Kings get the job done from the three-point line and force a very composed team that's led by John Stockton, one of the greatest point guards of all time, to turn the ball over 26 times. That's a recipe for success. The Kings win game two. But game three is the regular season 
Kings and Jazz game from 1999 that most remember. It was played on April 13th, also in Sacramento, and the Kings lost this game 105 to 100 in overtime. This game had five technical fouls, one ejection. It was Greg Ostertag, who later on would become a king a number of years later, uh, but he was the Utah Jazz starting center. Greg Ostertag was ejected in this game. He and Vladi Divac uh, were not soft on one another. Let's just say that. Those two guys were pushing and shoving. Chris Weber, of course, getting involved. Carl Malone getting involved. The physicality of all these games and this playoff series was just nuts. You can go on YouTube and find most of the playoff games. I encourage you to go and watch them uh, either before or after you hear all these episodes and just pay attention to the physicality because it's nuts. And and with physicality with these two teams, Greg Ostertag was typically uh, at the center of it. Again, super physical game. There's lots of pushing and shoving. Really set the stage for the playoffs and made sense as to why both teams uh, had so much venom towards one another uh, in the five-game playoff series. Corliss Williamson led the Kings in scoring with 22 points. Chris Webber did play in this game, had one of his massive Webber double-doubles, 16 points, 16 rebounds, nearly a triple-double with eight assists in this game. Uh, Carl Malone, yeah, that guy, 30 points, 10 rebounds, double-double for him. And Vlade Divac had a very impressive game. He flirted a little bit with a triple-double as well, 17 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists. A lot more rebounds in these games than in modern NBA games. Like we're, we're talking multiple big men, sometimes three or four bigs getting 20 or 10 plus double digit rebounds. You don't see that too much uh, in the NBA today. I don't know if that's just because of, you would think there'd be more because the higher volume of shots, but maybe more shots are going in. There's just less play around the rim. I don't know, but that was something that jumped off the page, at least looking at the box scores uh, from these games and uh, watching these games uh, online in in condensed broadcasts. But uh, for the Jazz, that was their uh, third game in a row. Like they played three straight games in three straight nights. So the fact that they were able to defeat the Sacramento Kings in their third game in as many nights, which of course does not happen anymore. And it was their fifth game in six days. The fact that they were able to beat a younger team in overtime uh, facing that just goes to show how composed and how solid that team was. Uh, And speaking of composure, the Kings didn't have it in the fourth quarter. They led by 13 points at one point in the fourth, but they turned the ball over nine times in the fourth quarter alone. And against a savvy veteran team, that is not going to get the job done. So those are the three regular season games for the Kings. And before we get to the actual playoffs, uh, we have to talk about how the Kings got to the playoffs, how they ended up a sixth seed. They end the regular season on a five-game winning streak. They got red hot at the end of the season, winning 10 of their last 11 games. They got the uh, sixth seed. The Jazz got the third seed. The basketball gods gave us what we deserved, which was a Kings and Jazz uh, playoff series based off of how the regular season went between those two teams. And I guarantee you both sides were licking their chops at the opportunity. Uh, Chris Webber finished seventh in MVP votes that year. Uh, He was all NBA second team. But Carl Malone, he was the MVP. So the Kings going up against the team with the MVP in Carl Malone. He was also on the All-NBA first team and the All-NBA defensive team. Jason Williams was on the All-Rookie first team, but he lost his Rookie of the Year race to uh, a guy you might know named Vince Carter. And funny enough, Mike Bibby, who would, of course, become the the future star point guard for the Sacramento Kings, he was also on that All-Rookie first team with Jason Williams. 
Uh, the Sacramento Kings led the NBA in scoring that year. So a young team trying to play flashy, trying to play a little more up-tempo, not afraid to shoot the long ball. They were the only team to average triple digits, which is absurd today, right? Absurd. Only team to average triple digits, but the Kings averaged just over 100 points per game. Uh, but even though they were at the top of the league in three-point attempts, they were near the bottom, not at the bottom, but near the bottom in three-point percentage. So imagine if that three-point percentage was middle of the pack or upper levels, this Kings team would have been very good, and that's eventually what they kind of developed into. Uh, The Utah Jazz, they were very, very good at getting to the free throw line. They led the league at getting to the line 30.2 times per game. And of course, when John Stockton got to the line, the man never missed. Uh, Also, the Kings were second in rebounds per game. They were fourth in assists. The Utah Jazz were third in assists. So both these teams... Uh, The Kings knew how to crash the glass. Both teams were physical. Both teams knew how to move the ball well, setting up for what we would have expected to be a a very entertaining offensive series. And in a way, it was. But really, this game or this series was won for the Utah Jazz, spoiler alert, won for the Utah Jazz based off of defense. But the Kings also did compete and win games that were defensive battles, which was pretty new for them at the time. So the Jazz finished 37 and 13 to secure uh, the third seed in the West. They at one point had an 11 game winning streak during the regular season. And like I said, thanks to that late season surge, the Kings end up with the sixth seed. So let's talk about game one. And like I said, we're not going to talk about this game too much because it was abysmal. So here you have this young team who's been thrown together, who hasn't, has only played together for 50 games, if that. And they're in their first playoff series since 1996 when the Kings lost to the uh, Seattle Supersonics 3-1 to in that five-game series. So it's the opening round of the playoffs. It's a best-of-five series at that time. On May 8th, the Kings and their starting five, which was pretty similar to how it had been all season long, which was Jason Williams. Uh, you had Abdul Rahad, Corliss Williamson, Chris Weber, Vlade Divac, Three of those five starters are new to the team. One is a rookie point guard going up against John Stockton, one of the greatest point guards of all time. And your four major bench contributors are new. This is a young team. This is a new team going up against a seasoned veteran team. And boy, did it show in game one. The Kings came out of the gate and were just punched in the mouth in Utah. Absolutely punched in the mouth. 37 to 20, they were outscored in the first quarter and they never recovered. Never recovered, period. I mean, from the get-go watching this game, it was like you could see which team had been there before and which team looked absolutely overwhelmed. Not just by the atmosphere, but just by the different level of playoff basketball. We know playoff basketball is different. The Kings were punished inside early. They couldn't get a stop uh, as the Jazz shot 68% from the first quarter. And then on the offensive end of the floor, the Kings couldn't get a bucket on the inside. They shot two of 16 from two-point range. But oddly enough, they had success away from the rim. They were four of four from three-point range in the first quarter. The Kings in this game, they didn't win a single quarter. Not a single one did they outscore the Utah Jazz. It just kind of got worse and worse. They were in a hole early and they could never really climb uh, their way out of it. Uh, and they ended up losing by 30 points, 117 to 87, which is 13 points under their regular season scoring average. So a team that averages 100 points per game, they're the only team to average triple digits in scoring. And they're held to 87 in their first playoff game by the Utah Jazz. Welcome to the NBA playoffs, kids. It was a rude, 
awakening. It was physical. There was a tech on Vernon Maxwell in this game, but no ejections and not too many technicals compared to game three of the regular season between these two teams. And quite frankly, the Jazz were just more composed. I mean, if you watch this game, they are way more composed. They're more comfortable and they forced a younger, inexperienced Sacramento Kings team out of their comfort zone in a hostile environment. So you put all that together and the Kings get punched in the mouth and they really get embarrassed in game one. But how the Kings respond in game two, and in particular, how Chris Webber responds, one thing that he does, and if you remember, you, you probably know what I'm talking about, and we'll talk about it, of course, on tomorrow's episode. But there's one play that he has, one moment between him and John Stockton that sends a message and that really changes the series for the Sacramento Kings. One play in particular. And we're going to talk about that. But coming up next, you're going to hear from the G-man, Gary Gerald. He is going to talk about the regular season, the road to the playoffs, and he'll talk about game one. That's coming up in just a second. Before that, I want to let you know today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. They have amazing flavors like coconut. My favorite is mint brownie. Also have raspberry, strawberry, orange, cookies, and cream. So many more. They're protein bars that taste like candy bars covered in 100% chocolate. They're delicious. And then more importantly, they're healthy for you. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories ranging from 130 to 180. Only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. So be sure to order a box today at built.com. And when you do use promo code locked 15, you'll get 15% off your order. It's a great deal. Promo code locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. You know, I bet if there was a betonline.ag website around during that Kings and, uh, and jazz playoff series, the Kings would have been heavy underdogs in every single game. And if you took the Sacramento Kings at that time, you would have made some good money in games two and three. Look forward to more of that on tomorrow's Locked on Kings podcast. Uh, but betonline.ag is the absolute best place for your sports gambling. And it's not just basketball. We're back in better than ever at Bet Online, especially with the football season now here. All eyes are on the gridiron, NBA or NFL and NCAA football. Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football gambling. Really from football to basketball, boxing, right to your favorite casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. And when you sign up, you can get a 100% welcome bonus by using promo code NFL100 at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, G-Man, so the 1999 NBA playoffs between the Sacramento Kings and the Utah Jazz, all three regular season meetings between the Kings and the Jazz in the 98-99 season went to overtime. There was at least one ejection in each of these three games. So do you remember this being the heated rivalry in Sacramento before the Kings and Lakers rivalry that we all know and love very well? Well, in my mind, we didn't know any different at that time. It was only the third time since the Kings came to Sacramento in 1985 that the Kings had been involved in playoff action. And so it was it was kind of a new challenge and new experience and one that, I mean, everyone was just tipped over in excitement because you're battling, I mean, that famed combination of uh, Stockton and Malone and you throw Jeff Hornacek into the mix, Jerry Sloan is the coach. The Utah Jazz were a tough out, and they were playoff tested, and they came very, very close to winning an NBA championship. So 
to be in a position where you're back in the playoffs for only the third time brought tremendous excitement to everybody involved. Many fans, when I actually put out a poll asking like what series they wanted me to relive and almost everybody said this 1999 series because they consider it really the dawning or the beginning of the greatest show on core era. Do you look at it and remember it in uh, in the same way? And you talked a little bit about the excitement in Sacramento heading into that series. That was the first season uh, with Chris Webber here in Sacramento. So high expectations for that. What do you remember um, about the excitement leading into that series? Well, a, a couple of things immediately come to mind. And, and one is something that I've said many, many times over the years. Up until that time, I used to envy other broadcasters because I said, you know, it must be so great to be with a team that on any given night in any given arena, you feel like you have a legitimate chance to win. I think this was kind of the first time that it was really beginning to evolve that that was the case for the Sacramento Kings. And as a broadcaster and, in, and as involved as we all were at that particular time, it was so refreshing and it was such a great feeling to know that, yeah, the Utah Jazz are really tough, but I think we've got a shot to beat them. And, and that was just, that was something that just sticks in my mind. Yeah, the Utah Jazz were the third seed. The Kings were the sixth seed. And the way uh, the, the playoffs, the opening round worked at the time was it was a best mm -hmm. of five instead of a best of seven, which I'm going to ask you about actually uh, a, little, a little later on when talking about games four and game five. But game one got off to a really oh. ugly start. As you know, the Kings dominated by 30 points, so it was really a welcome to the playoffs for them taking on a season team. Chris Webber was the Kings' leading scorer, had just 14 points. Peja Stojakovic was coming off the bench because he was a rookie. He had started only one game, I think, during the entire regular season. What do you remember about the dominance of Stockton and Malone in that game one and, and I guess, the feeling of Kings fans after that? You talk about a dose of reality. The expectations were so high. The anticipation was so great. And you go to the Delta Center in Salt Lake City and you get literally gobsmacked. I mean, it was just like, whoa, a 30-point whooping. So that opened a lot of people's eyes. But that being the case, you're still saying, I, you know, I think we're better than this. I think we can play better. But that combination, the Stockton to Malone thing, it was so simple. It was such basic basketball. And Jerry Sloan, you know, it was for years was the case. They just defied you to stop them, find a way somehow to stop them. And most teams couldn't. I mean, you knew what they were going to do. And yet they just were able to execute. And they, I mean, they mopped the floor with the Kings in game number one, no question. Do you remember there being any kind of panic in Sacramento after that game one beatdown? Or am I right in kind of assuming and reading the tea leaves with how the Kings responded in game two that it was more of a wake-up call to the Kings? Well, I think there was certainly, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a dose of reality has been dumped in your lap. And yes, there were concerns. And it was like maybe all of this hype and anticipation, we're finding out that, you know, when you go to the playoffs, it's a whole different intensity and level of basketball. And you, the window is so small. The margin for error is so small. You've got to take advantage of virtually every opportunity. And so you're hopeful. And then game two comes around and the way the game, Kings play, 
Yeah, okay. This this is the Sacramento Kings team that we thought we were going to see in game number one. Now the question is, in a short five-game series, can you find a way to pull out all the stops and, and somehow get past this juggernaut known as the Jazz? Awesome context from G-Man, and he's going to provide more great context for games two and three tomorrow and games four and five on Friday. I hope, hope, hope you will join me for that. You're really going to enjoy next episode in particular, how the Kings respond in games two and three after that game one beatdown. It's really where we started to see glimpses of just how good this team could be. So I hope you will join me tomorrow uh, for that episode. I hope you'll join me on Friday, of course, for uh, games four and five as well. Again, the G-Man will join me for both of those episodes. Uh, So I hope you will come back. If you uh, want to respond, talk about anything that we talked about, about the regular season or any memories that you have from this playoff series, again, send them to me at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter, uh, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com, or uh, if you're watching on YouTube, leave in the comment section down below. Also, remember, I'm doing an NBA 2K22 giveaway right now. All you have to do to enter for your chance to win is to leave a review of the Locked on Kings podcast. If you already have left a review, that's fine. All you have to do is find your review, take a picture of it, and either email it to me mattgeorgesports at gmail.com or tweet it at me at mattgeorgesack. I will see that. I will pick one at random and you will get a copy of NBA 2K22 on the platform of your choice. So be sure to enter in on that. Thank you to all those who have left reviews and have already entered. I will announce the winner on Friday. I hope you enjoyed part one. Join me for parts two and three tomorrow and Friday. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to Locked On Kings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.